It was a disappointing loss for the Orioles in extra innings on Wednesday night against the Rays. But maybe even more disappointing, they could lose Tyler Wells to injury for an extended time. We'll talk about that, plus what the Orioles could do if they decide to be maybe buyers at the trade deadline on Tuesday. That's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles. Your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, July 28th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to start by recapping a tough Orioles loss as they fall 6-4 to in 10 innings. On Wednesday night against the Tampa Bay Rays, dropping them back to 500 on the season. Then we'll get to a little bit of a look at the Orioles. And, you know, if they decide to be both buyers and sellers at the deadline, what kind of players would they target in a potential trade? And then finally get you updated on Taron Vavra, who has not yet appeared in a game, but was called up to the big leagues for the first time on Tuesday. So we'll get to all that on this episode, but first, just want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms, and remember, the only Orioles podcast out there that you can get Monday through Friday, five days a week. Plus, we're here on YouTube. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And again, we thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And for your first listen today, let's start with an Orioles loss. Rays 6, Orioles 4 is the final score in 10 innings on Wednesday night from Oriole Park at Camden Yards, and the loss drops the Orioles back to 500 at 49 and 49 on the season. However, the Red Sox did lose to the Guardians on Wednesday night, so the O's stay in fourth place in the AL East, a half game ahead of Boston. And I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from this Orioles extra innings loss. And the first thing you need to know is really the worst news from this game. Worse than the fact that the Orioles lost is that Tyler Wells left this game with injury. He was in there in the fifth inning with the Orioles trailing 3-2, to threw a pitch, and uh, yeah, didn't look good. Threw a pitch to Yandy Diaz. Now, I will say, it was not an arm injury. The Orioles called it a lower back injury. And we'll see, you know, how long he is out. We don't really have any further word besides lower back injury as I'm recording this here at 11 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday night. But he threw the pitch to Diaz. It was a ball immediately kind of hunched over, shook his side out a little bit, uh, and then doubled over again. Brandon Hyde and Chris Holt, an athletic trainer, came out of the dugout, looked at Wells and you know, didn't even try to throw another pitch or whatever it may be. Just came right out of the game and uh, was relieved by Dylan Tate. You know, Wells has had a little bit more struggles recently. I mean, his final line in the start because Tate came in and gave up an RBI double was four and a third innings, four runs on six hits, five Ks, no walks, and two homers allowed. 69 pitches, seven hard hit balls, and now a 3.90 ERA. Uh, that's what it's jumped to for Tyler Wells. But it's concerning, obviously, because Wells, for most of the year, has been the Orioles' best starting pitcher, maybe not as much so lately. But it's extra concerning because, A, the Orioles already have pitching injuries. Obviously, John Means out for the year with Tommy John, Grayson Rodriguez, who we never saw in the big leagues. You know, We maybe, at best, will see in September after the lat strain. 
You've got D.L. Hall still in AAA for some reason. you got Kyle Bradish, who's about to be back, but he's been on the injured list for a while with his shoulder injury. And with all these pitching injuries, you know, the rotation is starting to falter a little bit. And with Wells leaving in the fifth inning, it makes it 10 consecutive starts without a quality start for the Orioles rotation. You have to go back to July 12th in Chicago when Jordan Lyles allowed two runs over seven innings against the Cubs. That's the last time the O's have a quality start. So it's a little concerning, you know, even if Wells misses not extended time, but sometime he's going to have to be replaced. You would hope that replacement is D.L. Hall, despite his rough outing on Tuesday night in Norfolk when he gave up six runs and recorded just two outs. You would hope it would be D.L. Hall. It's probably more likely going to be Kyle Bradish, who's coming off the I.L. soon, or potentially Matt Harvey, or maybe even Bruce Zimmerman. I would love for it to be Hall, but obviously we'll wait for more information on Wells' injury. But it was a tough scene to see him leave that game. Second thing you need to know from this one is that Randy Arozarena just continues to kill the Orioles. He has been fantastic in his career against Baltimore, been an Oriole killer since he came to the big leagues, and he did it again on Wednesday night. Got the game-winning hit, a two-run double in the top of the 10th inning off of Jorge Lopez that gave the Rays their 6-4 to lead and came up with the bases loaded and nobody out and just took a ball off the wall in right field, went the other way on a fastball to drive in two. One of his two hits on the day, a single and a double, and those two RBIs in a two-for-five for for Arozarena. And it came off of Jorge Lopez, who, you know, didn't have his best stuff in the game on Wednesday night. He entered in the 10th in a 4-4 game. Of course, the zombie runner is on second. Now, got a little unlucky. He allowed an infield single to Yandy Diaz to start the inning on just a chopper that, you know, you'd love to be an out, but it was just a hit too slowly. Then he goes 3-2 and two on Brandon Lau and walks him, and then he gets behind to Rosarena and does serve up the double. Now, to Lopez's credit, after that, he goes intentional walk, then they get a ground ball and get the force at home, and then he gets a 6-4-3 double play. So he gets out of the inning, keeping it at just 6-4 when you know, the bases were still loaded with nobody out. It could have gotten much, much worse. He still gave the O's a chance to come back in the bottom of the 10th, but he had to throw 26 pitches, and he pitched on Tuesday night, which means he's probably not available for the day game on Thursday if the Orioles need a save. But, uh, yeah, not the best from Lopez, but, of course, it, it, it seems like it always has to be Randy Arozarena. Third thing you need to know from this one is that, well, the Orioles got another big moment from Jorge Mateo, who is now on a nine-game hitting streak for the Orioles and a 12-game on base streak. He had a two-for-four in this game, but, of course, the big one was the game-tying home run with one out and nobody on in the bottom of the ninth and the Orioles trailing 4-3. to three. Jorge Mateo comes up and takes a fastball that was right at the top of the zone and just cranks it the other way, hits it off the top of the wall in right center field for a game-tying solo shot off of Colin Poche. Of course, Poche is the one who gave up the go-ahead two-run homer to Ramon Arias back in Tuesday night's game. He gives up the homer to Mateo in the ninth on Wednesday night's game. 103 off the bat, traveled 398 feet out to right center field for the Mateo home run. And obviously, you know, it did not lead to a victory. You kind of felt like, you know, here go these comeback O's again, you know, down to their last two outs and Mateo delivers. And then you really did think the O's were going to win the game there in the ninth. You know, Cedric Mullins strikes out, but then Adley Rutschman draws a two-out walk. Trey Mancini singles into left field. And it's down to Anthony Santander, and he had a long at-bat, long battle with Poche, but finally Poche did strike him out to send the game to extra innings. I really did think Santander was going to come through there. The, the ninth inning just 
had the vibes of another Orioles comeback win, but it wasn't to be. And then the O's offense just didn't get it done in the bottom of the 10th with the zombie runner. Ryan Mountcastle crushed the ball to right field, but it just hung up on the warning track for out number one. And uh, then you had just the O's not being productive. Austin Hayes striking out. Rugnet Odor grounding out to end the game. And the O's lose it 6-4 to four in what is a disappointing loss. But at least, you know, you can take the positive out that, hey, you know, they, uh, they did at least somewhat complete a comeback to tie it once again on Wednesday night. Fourth thing you need to know from this one, speaking of the Oriole offense, I just mentioned that Trey Mancini had a single in the ninth. He finally stopped his skid, had a two for four on the night with a couple of singles and a walk reaching base three times in the game and snapped his 0 for 26 streak with a hit that came in the fifth inning. It was a single down the line and then a couple of throwing errors allowed Adley Rutschman to score on the play and Mancini to advance to second uh, made it a 4-3 to three game at the time. Just kind of an inside-out job and dropped it in down the right field line. And then, of course, had the screamer of a single in the ninth inning. He's been swinging it much better over the past couple of games and Mancini finally rewarded. Although, you got to respect you know the long con that Mancini was playing. Having an 0-for-26 stretch right before the trade deadline probably makes it a little bit harder for the Orioles to trade him. And uh, I'm not going to argue if he stays an Oriole because another team is a little wary about the slump he's in right now. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from this one is that although Jorge Lopez did, you know, take the loss and didn't have his best stuff in the 10th, otherwise the Oriole bullpen was locked down and allowed them the chance to come back in this game. Now, Dylan Tate did allow the RBI double to the first batter he faced after replacing the injured Wells in the fifth. But after that, Dylan Tate won an inning and a third scoreless with three strikeouts. Nick Vespi, an inning and a third scoreless with two strikeouts. Felix Bautista, a 1-2-3 inning with two Ks. Keegan Aiken, a scoreless ninth with a strikeout. And, you know, the Oriole bullpen, before it got to Jorge Lopez, had thrown 14 and two-thirds scoreless innings in this series against the Rays until Lopez gives up the two runs. Of course, only one of them earned in the top of the tent. They have been dominating and keeping the Orioles in these games, allowing them to come back just uh, just not enough in the end on Wednesday night as the Orioles lose it 6-4 to four in 10 innings and drop back down to 500 on the season. But they will go for a series win and will go to get back over 500 here on Thursday with a 12:30 start for game 4 final game of the series. It's Mo Gabba Day at the ballpark as well, Orioles and Rays. But of course, we are less than a week away, just 5 days away now from the MLB trade deadline. And the question continues to be, what will the Orioles do? They're 49 and 49. They're 4 games out of a playoff spot at the moment. So the question becomes, what should they do? And the answer is, well, I'm not really sure what exactly they should do. Should they be buyers? Should they be sellers? Should they be somewhere in between? It's going to be really interesting to see what the Orioles do at this deadline. But if they do want to be buyers, coming up next, I'll talk about some of the guys they could target in trades to help out this team, not just for the rest of this year, but in the next few years as the Orioles are ready to compete in the American League. But first, got to tell you about Sports Card Investor, maybe the most exciting new sponsor we have here on the network. Welcome to the world of sports cards reimagined. The Sports Card Investor app is the hobby's most powerful resource, 
Quickly check the value of your favorite cards, find great deals, and profit from the hobby you love. Available completely free in the Google Play and Apple App Stores, the Sports Card Investor app is a must-have for baseball fans. Now, the app is free. I'll tell you that a million times. But there's so many cards you can browse from every single sport, not just baseball, and you can check the latest values of your favorite cards with 7-day or 30-day charts and, and find the best prices. And here's the best part. You don't have to go to some other website to make your purchase. You can buy directly through the app with their eBay deals feature. So download the Sports Card Investor app today, available for free in the Google Play and Apple App Stores, or go to sportscardinvestor.com slash locked on. So the Orioles fall 6-4 to four in 10 innings to the Rays on Wednesday night in Game 3 of a four-game series against Tampa. But the trade deadline is, of course, coming up. Now just five days away, 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday, August 2nd. And before we get to some trade deadline talk, just want to thank you again for making Locked on Orioles your first listen every day. But we've got the MLB trade deadline, of course, coming up on August 2nd, and Locked on MLB has all the breakdowns. Now, Locked on Orioles right here will have your rapid reactions to any move that the Orioles make. So subscribe now to your favorite Locked On channel, specifically Locked On Orioles on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so you get notified when each episode premieres for all of the trade deadline content. And speaking of trade deadline content, you know, most people are probably not sure what the Orioles are going to do. I think they're going to trade a couple of guys. I talked about it on yesterday's episode, you know, least to most likely to be traded. But I certainly think Mike Elias could target some guys to bring into this Orioles organization. I'm not talking about prospects. I'm talking about major league players. And I really do think that if Elias does do that, it's going to be controllable starting pitching. Young starting pitchers who are signed through beyond this year, through at least 2023 and probably beyond. And, you know, will it be as part of another deal where the Orioles are sending away major leaguers? Could be. It could be. Maybe a deal where the Orioles are just trading from their minor league pool, although that's probably less likely. But I wanted to go through some options for the Orioles. If they are to do that, which I think this could be the time to pursue a controllable young starting pitcher. So, you know, there's a couple guys we've talked about already on the podcast. Pablo Lopez being one of them, the right-hander from the Miami Marlins. We had Arm Layton on a couple weeks back. Great episode talking about, you know, what it would take for the Orioles to get Pablo Lopez. We talked about a trade kind of centered around Anthony Santander and Kyle Stowers and maybe one more solid Orioles prospect to get Lopez. But, you know, he signed through 2024. He's got a 3.03 ERA in 20 starts this season. And the report from earlier this week was that the Marlins are willing to trade, quote, anybody but Sandy Alcantara, their ace, who is probably going to win National League Cy Young this year. The Marlins have a plethora of young starting pitching and they have no bats to help them out. So that's why we've talked about, you know, a bat like Santander for a pitcher like Lopez. And obviously the O's would have to give up more than that. But you would have to give up some prospect capital. I think the Marlins would certainly want a major league hitter. And I think that's why you give them Santander. And then a player like Stowers and maybe another prospect like a Joey Ortiz or, or you know, Cesar Prieto or, you know, whoever it may be. It would take a lot to get a guy like Pablo Lopez to the Orioles. But if Mike Elias could do it, it would be a huge, huge pickup for him and the O's. Because frankly, that's an ace right there if Elias can get him. Now, 
you know, he's not the only guy they could go after, and, and he would be pretty pricey. But another guy they could go after that I've talked about on this podcast as well is Tyler Malley, right-handed pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds. Now, he is signed through 2023, so you'd only get him for a year and a half, but he could really anchor your rotation heading into next season. Now, he has a 4.48 ERA and 18 starts, but he's got a 3.78 FIP, which means his numbers should be better than there are. He's being hurt basically by playing in one of the most hitter-friendly ballparks in the league, in Great American Ballpark. His numbers on the road are way better than his numbers at home, and this newly minted pitcher's park at Oriole Park could certainly help out Tyler Malley. And, you know, he's almost 10 strikeouts per nine on the season. Home run numbers aren't terrible despite playing in a hitter's ballpark. And as we know, as we saw this offseason, we're going to continue to see the Cincinnati Reds are sellers right now. And they're going to trade off anybody who's probably a free agent after this year and a free agent after next year. And Tyler Malley is one of those guys. Now, I don't think the O's would need to part with major leaguers, but it would probably take one of the top prospects. I'm not talking, you know, a Grayson Rodriguez or a D.L. Hall or Gunnar Henderson, but it might take a Kobe Mayo or a Kyle Stowers type, plus another prospect thrown in, maybe a couple more to get Tyler Malley. They're going to want to get a good haul because they don't have to trade him at this deadline. But I think, you know, Malley will definitely be cheaper than Pablo Lopez, but could provide that same amount of production for the Orioles over the next year and a half. So certainly that's someone... I would target, although he is unvaccinated. So obviously something to think about when you do have to go to Toronto a lot. Now, another guy who came up just earlier this week is Tarek Skubal, left-handed pitcher for the Detroit Tigers, who is signed through 2026. He's been a stud from the left side since the Tigers called him up. And for some reason, the Tigers, after you know spending some money this offseason trying to take that next step, they've been horrendous. And reports are from earlier this week from Ken Rosenthal that they might be sellers again and not just, you know, their upcoming veteran free agents like Michael Pineda and Jonathan Scope. No, no, no. Like some of their young guys and some of their young pitching might be on the move. And the report said that Tarek Skubal is available. They are listening. Now, this would take an absolute prospect haul from the Orioles. I mean, you could throw an Anthony Santander into a trade like that, but he would certainly not be the centerpiece. He would help get a guy like Scooble because the Tigers are looking for bats. They have the worst offense in baseball and a bat like Santander who's controlled through 2024 would be a good addition. But you're going to have to throw in some serious guys. I'm talking Kobe Mayo. I'm talking maybe Colton Kowser. You know, I'm talking Kyle Stowers, Joey Ortiz, Cesar Prieto. Maybe a Taron Vavra, Mike Bauman, you know, not all those guys at once, but you're talking three, four plus plus prospects the Orioles would have to part with to get Tarek Skubal. Is that a lot? Yes. Could all four of those guys you part with turn out to be good players? Yes. Do the Orioles have a guy in their system besides Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall who could be good enough or better than Tarek Skubal? I don't think they do. And quite frankly, there's a chance that Skubal is better than Hall. Now, I don't know if he's going to be better than Rodriguez. I think Grayson Rodriguez is going to be pretty good. But Tarek Skubal has had a good track so far. He has a 3.88 ERA and 19 starts. But, I mean, you know, you look at his numbers. He's got a 2.92 FIP. He's been hurt by his defense basically more than any pitcher in baseball this year. You get him, you know, in front of a much better defense in Baltimore with, you know, a similar park, maybe a little more pitcher-friendly. 
and pitching on, honestly, a better team. Yeah, I would love Tarek Skubal. And you know what? I'd give up big prospect capital. As long as the O's don't have to part with Henderson, Hall, or Rodriguez, I'd put together a big package of prospects to go get Tarek Skubal. But, of course, there are some other names who would maybe cost less to the O's and and moves that they could make. There's some other guys with the Marlins. You know, Pablo Lopez is the big name, but there's other guys that could be had. I mean, Edward Cabrera, former top prospect, coming off the injured list, you know, still in his early 20s. They're not really sure where he fits into the rotation long-term. Again, that would take some hitting prospects from the O's, but they could go get him. Maybe if they want to go cheaper and Eliezer Hernandez from this Marlins team who has kind of been pushed out of their rotation. He's been the odd man out. He spent some time in AAA. He's had some home run issues, but still has some underlying data with some of his pitches that look solid. Could be a project for the O's where you get a guy fairly cheap and, and try to rework him into your rotation. You got the Mets guys that we talked about earlier this week with Ryan Finkelstein of Locked On Mets. You know, as we talked about a potential Trey Mancini and Jorge Lopez to the Mets trade, you've got the guys like, you know, Tyler McGill and David Peterson, who, you know, the Mets are, are pretty stacked in their rotation. And, you know, if there is a potential Mancini trade, I would target one of those guys trying to get them back because they're MLB ready to slot right into your rotation. And then there was one other name I wanted to bring up who will come much cheaper and is not as sexy as these other guys, but could help them out. And that is right-handed pitcher Brad Keller of the Kansas City Royals. Now, Keller is a free agent after 2023, so we'd get him for a year and a half. And he's not going to light the world on fire. He does not have big strikeout numbers, but a 4.16 ERA in 18 starts this year, over 101 innings. You know, you'll take that help in your rotation. Now, only six Ks per nine and three walks per nine is not a great number. But he gets some ground balls. He can eat some innings. And maybe the Orioles see something there. Maybe, you know, as Kansas City will probably be sellers again. I mean, they've already started. They traded Andrew Benintendi to the New York Yankees on Wednesday night. So they've already started selling off pieces. You know, Keller's a guy who's been in their rotation, but I don't necessarily think they're going to try to re-sign. That could be a guy who the Orioles just kind of make an under-the-radar move. You know, it, it would take maybe one prospect and not one of the big names to go get a guy like Brad Keller. You know, it would be cheap. It would still be an upgrade into the Orioles' rotation right now. Maybe someone they could work with heading into next year. Just an idea of someone who, who could be available. But, you know, I don't see the Orioles being big-time go-for-it buyers, and they're not going to be sell-it-all-off sellers. It's going to be somewhere in the middle. And if they do acquire Major League talent, I think it's got to be a controllable starting pitcher, and those are just some of the options. Obviously, guys like Luis Castillo and Frankie Montes and others are out there. They're probably a little out of the Orioles' price range. But, hey, swing a deal, swing a deal. Keep the excitement going at Camden Yards. But one more thing to get to here on today's episode, something we didn't touch on on Wednesday's pod, is that Taron Vavra is in the big leagues. We haven't seen him debut yet, but he is here. We'll talk a little bit about Vavra and what he could bring to the Orioles coming up next. So we're talking Taron Vavra here on the podcast to finish out a Thursday episode who was called up by the Orioles on Tuesday to replace Jonathan Arauz. Now, Arauz, who slid into second, trying to stretch a single into a double in the eighth inning on Monday night and was injured, had to leave the game. Orioles placed him on the 10-day injured list, uh, broke one of his fingers, it looked like, sliding into second, so we'll see how long that recovery takes. But the Orioles needed an infielder to replace him. They obviously could have gone with someone like Ryland Bannon, who has already been in the big leagues this year, can obviously play second and third base. 
But the O's instead went with the hot bat at AAA and the higher-ranked prospect in Taron Vavra. Vavra, who is 25 years old, if you're not familiar, a left-handed hitter who was a third-round pick of the Rockies back in 2018 and came over to the Orioles along with Tyler Nevin and Michelle Desson in the Michael Gibbons trade at the deadline back in 2020. Now, this year, he's been lighting it on fire in AAA. Now, he's had multiple injuries that have kept him out for solid chunks of the year, but he's played in 45 games for the Norfolk Tides this year in 208 plate appearances. He's hitting 324 with a 435 on base and a 451 slugging. Now, not a big-time power hitter, but despite that, he still has a 145 WRC+. plus With only two home runs in over 200 plate appearances, he does have 14 doubles. He has five for six stealing bases. 18 walks to 36 strikeouts, not amazing, not terrible in kind of the the walk-to-strikeout ratio, but he can move around defensively on the diamond. Now, I wouldn't call him a plus defender in any of the position he plays, but you can certainly put him out there and feel solid about it. Now, he's mainly a second baseman, but he has played shortstop, third base, center field, and left field in his minor league career, so he definitely has some versatility, can move out to the outfield. Now, one thing that has helped him, he has a 400 BABIP on the season in AAA. That is batting average on balls in play. Anything above 300, usually you got a little luck on your side. And if you're at 400, you probably got a lot of luck on your side. So, you know, if he goes back to AAA for a while, that average of 324 will probably come down. But right now he is here to help the Orioles. Now, he was never going to be in Tuesday's lineup after he was recalled because, you know, the O's didn't know they were going to have to place RUs on the IL until Tuesday. So they kind of scrambled to get Vavra to the big leagues. He had to fly in. He actually arrived right around first pitch on Tuesday, so he was never going to enter that game. And then the Orioles did not put him in Wednesday's lineup. So we'll see if he's in the lineup to make his major league debut on Thursday. But whenever he does, you know, he's going to help the O's off the bench. You know, he'll he'll play some second base. I'm assuming he probably won't play any other position. Obviously, at third, you have Arias and Nevin kind of rotating now. You know, Vavra will be the guy who will play some second uh, when Odor sits. Now, the one thing about those two is, obviously, they're both left-handed hitters, so you're not going to platoon them. So we'll see if maybe Vavra does start against a lefty because that's when they sit Odor. But he can play short and third and some outfield if you need him to. Again, he's not going to be in the lineup every day at this point. But he's going to get some chances before, you know, Arius is off the IL or before uh, Henderson or Wesper gets called up because he is part of the Orioles system. You know, most places have him. I think every place has him as a top 15 prospect. Some places have him as high as at the bottom part of the top 10 in their prospect rankings. You know, he's always been able to hit from the left side, not necessarily for big power, but a good hit tool. You know, it's 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 okay, above average defense. And he runs fairly well on the bases and had a great college career at Minnesota, was an All-American there for the Gophers. Just a player that that I've liked since his college days, was very happy the Orioles traded for him and, and very happy to see him in the big leagues. I hope he does get some regular at-bats. Obviously, we've seen a guy like Ryland Bannon this year come up a couple of times and not really get regular playing time. I don't think Vavra, again, is going to be in there every day. But he'll spell Odor, he'll spell maybe Orias, could even spell Mateo a few times because he can play some shortstop. And, uh, you know, we will see what he can do. But uh, cool to see another one of these top prospects up in the big leagues. Hopefully another of many to come this season for the Orioles. But what's to come here on the podcast? Well, we got one more episode here this week coming up on a Friday pod to end the week. Of course, we'll recap game four, the day game 
between the Orioles and the Rays. Get you the five things you need to know from that one. We'll preview the weekend series as the O's head to Cincinnati. Take on the Cincinnati Reds for three games. That uh, that team has not been good this year. So hoping for an Orioles sweep. And, uh, you know, we'll talk some more trade deadline stuff. We'll be even closer and closer to the deadline. And, hey, of course, if the O's make a move between now and then, we'll talk about all of it coming up on Friday's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.